Moses goes out, and he's judging the people. And the people are coming to him all day long, from morning to afternoon, to evening, morning to evening. And in this background, in verse 18, excuse me, verse 17, of chapter 18, Jethro comes to Moses, his, his father-in-law, and he says to him, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice, and I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficult things, the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes of the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you. But every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will go to their place in peace. There is great insight and truth in this passage here. As I mentioned the verse by verse, one thing that gets our attention right away is the teachability of Moses, because in the following verses, we're told that Moses heeds this counsel, and it works. It's good counsel. So here's Moses. He's got this incredible relationship with God. He's about to go to the mountain of God and have access to God the way no one else does. And yet he is able to receive instruction, good counsel, favorable direction from a loved one, his father-in-law, to his own benefit personally and to the benefit of God's people. And this counsel that comes from Jethro not only benefits Moses, but again, it benefits all of God's people and sets in motion a way that ministry can be improved, it can be expanded, and grow to the benefit of God's people. We know that with leadership, because this is really a, a, a text on leadership, we often say with leadership, if someone's a leader, is anyone following? Right? Hey, does someone have leadership skills? Well, is anyone following? You can be a boss and tell people what to do. That doesn't necessarily make you a leader. That just means you have power and you can bully people in some cases. But a leader gets people to lead, follow. And a spiritual leader gets people to follow with being led by the Lord. So I've often prayed in my life as a pastor for over 30 years that I'd be led of the Lord so I could lead God's people for the Lord. And being led by the Lord in my own life that I could inspire other people to be led by the Lord and that they might lead others for the Lord. And a good example of this would be here with Worship Generation as we planted this church 15 years ago through the course of those first 10 years of the church, Brian Jameson came here and was our associate pastor for five years and I poured into him. We had a great relationship. We still do. And he went on to go start a church in the city of Orange where he's a very effective and fruitful senior pastor. Hector Mora came here for quite some time, and off and on even before he came here, because he was involved with Reality LA with Tim Chaddock in 2006, 7, and 8, around that time. But Hector came here with his wife for years, and he was led and, and prospered here, and he went out, and he's a very effective leader for the Lord. And we see that. We've had many people come out of this church, like Raul, Raul Diaz, who was our youth pastor for years. He's there at the Calvary Chapel in Fort Worth, Texas now. 
And he does business with the gas and oil company with his father-in-law, but he's a strong leader in that church and leads the youth at that rather large, one of the, probably the largest Calvary Chapel in the state of Texas, and he's very fruitful. And we have deacons that have gone out, Scott Carangella, pastors that have gone out, Jeremy Foster, they're both in Boise, Idaho now. We've had deacons like uh, go to other parts of the, of the world, as, other parts of the country as well. Uh, Jesse Bronesty went to Arizona. He's been doing discipleship groups in his house with his wife, Kristen, for years. And again, we saw God work in his life. He was led of the Lord here. We, he served as a deacon. He went to Arizona and has an incredible ministry with young people in the Goodyear, Phoenix suburbs to the eastern part of Phoenix. Many others. My point in showing all this is that one of the key things you learn in ministry is you can't do it all. And that's what Jethro says to Moses. You, this is not good. You can't do it all. Now, when you come into ministry, you might feel like you can do it all or you feel like you're supposed to do it all, but you can't do it all. One only look at Jesus, who himself, the Son of God, prioritizes time with the Father, never let anything usurp that, and then after spending the night with the, the Father in prayer, he selects his 12 apostles, and he had his three, Peter, John, and James, and he had his 12, including Judas with a purpose, and the 70. And he poured into these men, and then on the day of Pentecost, these men led the way, and they took the church to that first generation to become who we are today. All of us are an extension of the ministry of Jesus through the 11 apostles plus Matthias replacing Judas. We're an extension of that. Do you realize, if you have faith in Jesus Christ tonight, somehow that gospel message came to you through one of those 12 men? Jesus had thousands that he fed, with his soup pantry ministry. But in the end, it really came down to a small group of quality leaders who he poured into, who prayed in the upper room in Acts chapter 1, and then Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they changed the world. And that's really what it's like. God raises up leaders who then raise up leaders. And that's how it works. It's actually called apostolic succession, is referred to by many people. For me personally, and being the lead pastor here at Worship Generation, I was discipled by Brian Broderson, who was the son-in-law of Pastor Chuck Smith and was discipled by Pastor Chuck Smith. So if you look at my genealogy as a pastor, I was saved at a Calvary chapel in Encinitas, eventually called to go to Calvary Vista, served under Brian Broderson under his leadership, was sent out by Brian Broderson to the East Coast, to Virginia, and then to Vermont, came back to the West Coast where Brian asked me eventually to come on staff at Calvary Costa Mesa with Pastor Chuck where Worship Generation was birthed with a 16-year-old Phil Wickham and a 21-year-old Jeremy Camp and the rest is history and we did that for five years and then with Chuck and Brian's blessing we were sent out here to start the church here in Fountain Valley and even to this day at this time with all that we're going through with COVID-19 decisions that need to, made, to be made in the church with our church lead, leadership our board of directors which is legally responsible I'm talking to Brian Broderson just last week because Worship Generation is an outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. So what that church does is very important to us because we're in that succession with Brian Broderson, me personally, and this church collectively. It's like Paul said with Timothy, he's a son in the faith and I have no one like him. He, he's, he had a very, relation, very special relationship. And so we see that it's really about discipleship in the New Testament church. And it's about God calling men like Moses or like the apostles and pouring his spirit out on them 
and then them raising up men around them and God pouring his spirit out on them and then the succession and the succession from generation to generation, which leads us to today and the Calvary Chapel movement or these other church movements that are going on right now that are wonderful movements. That's how it works. So as we look at this text, we realize that there is a succession and we realize that one man cannot do it all. Moses cannot do it all. Even though he's the mediator of the entire covenant, he can't do it all. He cannot do it all. There's a limit to what one man can do. And if you study books on leadership and limits of leadership, they tell you if you don't raise up people around you to replace you, you tap out like leading 100 people pretty much. You, you, you just can't do it. And recent surveys in the last decade or so with pastors' wives, <laughs> well, Skip Isaac showed the statistic at a pastor's conference a few years back, but 85% of pastors' wives want their husbands to leave the ministry. That's an amazing number. Like, wow, like 85%, that's like really high. But the point was, is they feel overwhelmed that they can't do all that's expected of them to do. Their husbands can't do it all, and as pastor's wives, they can't do it all. So we have to ask ourselves, are they trying to do more than they're called to do? Or, you know, there's a disconnect. Because Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And the priest in the Old Testament word linen, not wool. Wool's for sweating, not linen. So if we're manufacturing or we're containing or we're running or we're making it work and we wear every hat in the church, we won't make it. We just can't. And if you're doing that in your marriage, you won't make it. You can't be the husband and the wife. <laughs> you just, that's a, a whole other Bible study. But you can only be who you're meant to be and fulfill the role that God has for you. You can pray for other people in their role. You just learn that you can, you just can't, you can't, it's not good. He says right here, it's, this thing is too much for you. If you're trying to do more than what you're called to do in your life personally, and in the relationships around you, and in the context here of ministry and leadership, it's not good. I mean, this really is a study for me, but there's a lot to be learned for everybody in worship generation. And by the way, we're told in Ephesians that pastors and leaders are, are the, they equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Like, I can't take care of everybody during this COVID-19 in this church. I can't make every phone call. I can't follow up with everybody. It's not possible. I can't do it. It's more than I can do. I can keep communicating on the website to anyone that cares about the church. I can communicate to the pastors and deacons through text. I can communicate through ministry team uh, memos, and I can communicate to anyone that's interested through our Worship Generation newsletter, but I can't make uh, 10 one-hour calls every day to follow up on everybody. Nor am I called to. Jesus is always there for you. I can't always be there for you. But hopefully other people in the body of Christ are there for you. Not just for worship generation, but people in all these churches all over California right now who have not been able to gather. And on the planet, as the planet goes. I learned early on in ministry, I can't do it all. And when we planted that church in Virginia in 1991, I tried to do it all. And I couldn't do it all. And I crashed and burned. What I can do is be faithful to what God's called me to do. And what you can do is be faithful to what God's called to do. And that is to be led by the Lord in your personal life. And as you're led by the Lord in your personal life, then God will equip you to lead others to the Lord and for the Lord in the sphere of your personal life. And that is what we can do. And as we look at this text here with Moses, we know it's too much on your own and you can't do it alone. And we know that Jesus had 3, 12, and 70. And we know that in the book of Acts, they're constantly raising people up. When they had the problem with the serving of the widow's dispute over food, 
because these spoke Greek, these spoke Hebrew. What did they do? The apostle said, we must stick to the word in prayer, but choose from among yourselves seven men who are capable to do the work of basically a food and fellowship in a food pantry. And they did. And they looked for men with qualifications. They prayed over them. They brought them. They presented them. And among that was Philip the Evangelist and Stephen the Martyr. It was a good group of seven. I mean, it was a, it was a dream team. And the church could recognize it, and they put them forth. That's what they did. And then we see, as things went forward, and when uh, Paul and Barnabas split into two different teams, that God raised up this team to go that way, and he raised up this team to go that way. And even as Paul went out on his second journey, there in the journey, God raised up Timothy to be a part of the team along with the trip, as well as Luke the physician. So... The point is, as the church of Jesus Christ goes forward in any circumstance, and now we bring it into COVID-19 and where we're at tonight as worship generation, the church always goes forward with, with men and women who are seeking the Lord, being led by the Lord. And as they're led by the Lord, they can lead for the Lord, and they equip and raise up others to be led of the Lord as well so they can lead for the Lord. In other words, it's not a centralized leadership. It's a decentralized leadership. It's not one building where everybody meets, it's really almost like home groups where there's quality leadership in every gathering. As we plan and prepare to do home groups this month, well, they're not really home groups, they're supper together. And people are getting together less than 11, of course, 10 and under, you know, respectful of society and the standards that society expects right now in the month of May in California. But it's really easy for us to do this because we put people in groups and say, okay, these people are going to get together and we have pastors and deacons who are great leaders that are available to do that. And we know that they can get together in a gathering with people in a neutral location at a park or at the beach or something like that. And we know that they're spirit-filled men and spirit-filled women, and they can guide the conversations. They can minister to the needs of the people they're talking to. They can pray with them. They can encourage them. They can build them up. They can give them an answer for the hope that's in them as they're going through challenging times. We know these are men and women who are in the Word of God, and they have fresh manna from being with the Lord to share with people. We know that no matter what group that anyone can come together within and any group of our people connecting this month in fellowship of 10 or less for a meal with proper social distancing in a public place, a legally public place, as we provide benevolence and a free meal to the benefit of society and the people of our church, we know that whoever is leading those groups, they're led of the Lord. In fact, as I looked at the sign-up list, it's like, it's like when you have an all-star team. You know, it's like, hmm, which pitcher do we want to pitch? They're all really good pitchers. Like, who do we want to lead? I mean, we got... Our deacons are incredible. The worship generation deacons are incredible. Our pastors are amazing. We've, we've had really... Cool, we have had amazing people been here, raised up, and sent out like Raul Diaz and Jeremy Foster and Brian Jameson and Hector Mora. I mean, those guys are amazing. We've had amazing worship leaders like Jeremy Camp and Phil Wickham be a part of worship generation. We've had amazing teachers like Tim Chaddock be a part of worship generation. And look what they've gone on to do. We're we're not trying to control anything right now during COVID-19. We're trying to point people to the Lord and build them up in the Lord. And we're trying to raise up people to lead people with the Lord that they would be led of the Lord for such a time as this. And this is what you see here. If I'm one person trying to control everything right now, it's not good. It's too much. I'm not trying to control anything. I'm trying to get the mind of the Lord for how to handle COVID-19 for worship generation, our leadership, our church in May in California. Yeah, but I'm not doing it alone. I've got godly men I've been calling to be praying and seeking the Lord. And 
whatever we do and however we open and when we open, what it looks like, that's not, that's not on me, man. That's not like the joy show. It's, it's, on, it's all of us together being led to the Lord. You know, worship generation in 15 years of legal existence as a church, plus four years of pre-existence being a, a nonprofit at Calvary Costa Mesa, we have always, on every legal vote, had a 100% unity. Never have we had one dissenting vote on any legal vote. Never. And that's how we intend to be for such a time as this. Because is Christ divided, Corinthians says? No. We're told we can have the mind of the Lord. And in Acts 13, they were praying and fasting, and the Lord said, set aside Saul and Barnabas for the work that I called them to. And they had the mind of the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I've had pastor and deacon meetings in this room over my right shoulder where we've had incredible times together and God has given us the mind of the Lord. And now there's a great responsibility for us in the month of May, the legal leadership of the church who gives an account to the federal government and the state government to seek the Lord and to get the mind of the Lord for who we are as a church, when we open, how we open, and what it looks like. These are indeed times that test men's hearts and souls. But know this, we want to be led of the Lord and have the mind of the Lord. And it's not just one person. If, I, if it's all on me, it's not good, right? So we look at Moses here, and he has to realize early on, he's about to go on a 40-year journey with his people. And his father-in-law is going, dude, you cannot do this. Delegate. Delegate, recognize, raise up, trust, work together, pray, build your team. Aaron, her. Joshua, right? I mean, Moses had his team. And these 70, you do the best you can. Now, his responsibility was to be the word of God, right? We saw that. Jesus was like, dude, you're the teacher. You're the primary teacher. So, you know, we say like most pastors are the teacher. They're the primary teacher. Now, here's something interesting. In the letter to Titus, when Paul was writing Titus about planning the church there in Crete, churches, he said, set in order things that are lacking, so there were things lacking. There was a lacking of local churches with truth being taught. When we come through COVID-19 and the body of Christ goes forward, and we will go forward, there's no reason to go in reverse. Like, the cross is not going in reverse. The cross is not going forward. As churches go forward, they're going to go forward in truth. They're going to go forward with the teaching of the Word of God, the whole counsel of God. There's a lot of churches that have existed that have not emphasized the Word of God. And I don't know what they're doing right now or what they're thinking when they come back. But remember what I shared a few months, a few weeks ago? In Virginia Beach, God asked me, do you want to make churchgoers or disciples? Because you're early on in ministry. You have to decide. Do you want to have churchgoers or do you want to make disciples? I'm like, well, the Great Commission is disciples, so disciples. And then God kind of blew up the church, and we had to start over. As we come through COVID-19 here in America, here in California, the churches, the Calvary chapels, all churches. We're going to need men who are godly men, women who are godly women, to lead, who can handle the word of God and teach all the word of God to God's people. And that's what we need. There's been a famine of God's word. And I'm not saying we're the only people teaching the word, because we're not. There's lots of people teaching the word. There's people in prison all over the world for teaching the word of God, almost in every country, to some extent, there's persecution for teaching the word. But Moses' primary responsibility was teach them the statutes and the laws. And so here at this 
critical juncture in human history, American history, California history, and church history, it's important that the leaders are led by the Lord and teach the law of God because it's the highest law. It's a higher law. It's the higher law. Jesus is the final authority. And up to this point, we've had no problem with government against the law of God. I mean, even though the governments do different things contrary to God's law, they don't force us to do against our conscience things contrary to God's law. Well, maybe we're coming to a time where they're going to force us to do things contrary to our conscience with God's law. We're not... Well, I can't say we're not there yet. We're, we're kind of getting there, in case you didn't notice. And let God be true in every man alive. We just have to figure out what God wants to do. But as we go forward, and whether we ever see sanctuaries filled with people in big churches again in California, or we don't, and we just see people in small churches like in China and other places in the world, we're going to need men who are led of the Lord, women who are led of the Lord, who teach the word of God. And so going back to Crete, when Paul left Titus there, he said, I'm leaving you here to plant churches and to appoint men who will teach the Bible, who will teach the word of God. It's the first thing on the list, to teach the word. Now, of course, character, but then to teach. We're not a sports club. We're not a political party. We're the church. We're the pillar of the living God, the church of Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone, and we must teach the truth. So whatever happens between church and government in the coming months in America, the church must have men and women who lead, who are led, who teach the truth and teach the word. The whole counsel of God. Now, weird stuff. There's no time to be weird. It's time to teach the whole counsel of God. What people want to hear and what they need to hear. Because the truth is the truth. It's all there is to it. Paul said, I'm not ceasing to declare to you the whole counsel of God. There's a lot of churches that are, are kind of based upon like a little jingle like a little branding of what their brand is, forget that, blow it up, forget that. It's the whole counsel of God. One thing that I heard on a webinar last week with hundreds of pastors, the general consensus that whenever we come through this, whatever this is and how it comes through and how we come through it and what it looks like is that the church will be much more purified. If the government is harassing the church, churchgoers aren't going to go to church. Disciples are going to go to church, whether it's in a house, in a public place. If the governments are harassing the churches for public displays of faith, saying it's unsafe or unsanitary, churchgoers aren't going to go to beach baptisms. Disciples are going to go to beach baptisms. People who are born again are going to get baptized. Because the sacraments supersede all human government. Do you think Jesus Christ makes water baptism subject to politicians grasping for more power? Do you think Nero stopped water baptisms in Rome before he burned it or after he burned it? Of course not. Do you think they stopped breaking bread, having communion in Rome after Nero burned Rome or before he burned Rome? Of course not. Do you think Stalin stopped believers from being water baptized in Russia? during all that he did to his people, killing millions of innocent people? Of course not. They still got baptized. They still had communion. They met in small groups. It is what it is. Even when Paul told Titus to be in Crete 
and to make disciples and to find men who could lead and teach, you could sense it was building the oppression against believers in the Roman Empire in the early 60s AD. He knew exactly what kind of what they're up against in their environment. He knew it was coming. But he still had a total vision of optimism because he said appoint men in every city, not some cities. So if Titus would be like, oh my goodness, Ciro's, Nero's the Caesar. He's going to blame Christians for burning Rome. The Christians are going to be the... Listen, I wouldn't be surprised if Christians are blamed for COVID-19 and a second wave. You know, like, don't put anything past the devil or evil men who follow him or are subject to him. Nero burned Rome, and he blamed on the Christians. And people are always willing to blame the Christians. The Vietnamese communists blame the Christians. The Chinese communists blame the Christians. The Muslims blame the Christians. He can blame anything you want, anyone you want. And it's always in to blame the Christians. Because we love our enemies and we forgive our enemies. And all day long we're led to the slaughter. But know this, Romans 8 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, neither famine nor pale or sword. So we need to teach the word of God. I need to teach the word of God. What do you think I'm coming here every week to do for? I'm teaching the word of God. I'm teaching it verse by verse. And bringing out old treasures with New Testament application. That's what we're doing. We're we're just praising the Lord. We're doing the best we can. And that's who we are. Now, we're also told to Moses that you need to raise up people. You select other people. You select from all the people, verse 21, able men. And we can say for the church, able women who can lead and serve. Fear God, men of truth, not having hating covetousness. And yeah, these are the kind of people we need. You know, isn't this like the kind of people you want leading the church? <laughs> Think with me about this. When you go to church, whether it's in a home or in a park or with social distancing and mask on, in your future, don't you want to see men and women leading the church who are able by the power of the Holy Spirit, who are such as fear God? Don't we need God-fearing women and men leading the church? Because I see a lot of men and women leading politically who do not fear God. In fact, they blaspheme God. But we're not. They're going to come and go. We're in glory for all eternity. So don't let them move you. This is our kingdom. It's the everlasting kingdom. And so as we come out of COVID-19 and go forward, whatever it looks like, suffer together groups, home groups, whatever it's going to look like, We need men and women who are able by the Holy Spirit, who fear God, women and men of truth, who hate covetousness. And it's interesting because, you know, there's massive unemployment right now, and there's a great fear of losing wealth, right? I mean, isn't everyone afraid of losing wealth? Like, that's kind of like, I don't know. If you have any wealth, you're probably afraid of losing it based upon the stock market. Like, once governments, you know, governments expand and they rarely retract. Like, it's of men to take more, not less. And the more men take, the more they want to take. That's how it works. They're the sons of Adam. By the way, when God compares human kingdoms in his word, you know what he compares them to? Animals. And what does Paul call his enemies? Brute beast. 
dogs, animals. So before you put too much confidence in a human government, God compares human governments to animals. Unclean animals, devouring animals, terrifying animals, but animals. But God's kingdom, who we are, the church, you know what he compares us to? A mountain that crushes everything. Not that we do it. (laughs) When Christ comes, he sets up the kingdom. So a glorious mountain, God's kingdom, or the kingdoms of men, terrifying animals. We need to be under this kingdom and not afraid of these kingdoms. And we need men and women who fear God, love the truth, and are not covetous, who are under this kingdom, and don't fear that one, those ones. When you look at politicians, you get worked up, you're just like, ugh. It's like, just picture the animals. The bear. The leopard with the wings. You know, it's like, that's what they are. That's what they'll always be. But when Christ comes, that mountain comes and he establishes the kingdom. And his animals, the lion lays down with the lamb. Clementine picks up a cobra and pets it. That's his kingdom, and it's coming. And as we come through this and take the church forward under whatever it looks like, we need men and women who are led, that can lead, and they have this kind of character. That's what the church needs. And again, it's going to be a different church. Oh, make no mistake, body of Christ. It'll be a very different church at the end of 2020 than how it was at the start of 2020. Make no mistake about that. We're going to know where you're in. Or as we said to Timothy last week, all ambiguity is gone. It's gone. You're, You're either this or you're that. And it's polarizing and becoming more polarizing. We just don't know where it's going to go. But we know who we serve, and these principles are true. And the final thing is, it says that in verse 23, when you do this, when you delegate, and you just, we all, we all get in our place. We all get, in, as, as the commercial says, stay in your lane. That was a popular phrase in 2019, right? The first time I heard it's like, stay in your lane. Like, what do you mean? Like, that, that was really popular in 2019. You know, Yo, bro, stay in your lane. It was like a buzz phrase, like, stay in your lane. Well, stay in your lane. Get in your lane and excel in your lane. And we'll all do just fine. Know your lane from the Lord. When we just studied chapter 19 and the verse by verse before this, God says, boundaries, right? So know your boundaries. Know what you're called to do when you're not called to do and be content to fulfill it. And then he said to Moses, then you'll be able to endure. And this people also go to their place in peace. So it is really important that spiritual leadership that's led of the Lord and leads for the Lord and raises up people and delegates things to people who lead for the Lord and have a vision to go throughout Crete and plant churches, look at people who act like animals, because again, in Crete, they're all brute beasts, right? The prophets of Crete said that the people are animals, they're brute beasts, and and Paul said, it's true. Now go make disciples of them and make them pastors, right? So God transforms us animals into being transformed to serve him. That's the gospel going forth. And as it goes forth, in our timeline, whatever it's going to look like going forward from this COVID-19 into the summer of 2020, as we do what we're called to do and things are delegated and things are in order, people step up. 
I mean, I think as the church goes forward, we're going to see more and more people that are actually active in the church. Again, you're going to be participative in the church in 2020 going forward, or you're not going to be a part of church. Churchgoers generally are not participative in church. It's like going to a lecture in college at a big university. Disciples are active in the church. And as we go forward, it's going to be more active people. It's not bigger churches and more people. It's going to be social distancing and people that are truly committed to one another with eternal relationships. And as we do this, as each person fulfills their role, being led of the Lord, under the Lord, reaching people for the Lord and leading others for the Lord, we're going to see that we're able to endure anything and everything God's called us to do. It's only when we get out of our lane and we don't trust the Lord or we're striving beyond what God's called us to do that we have problems. You can't bear it, like Jethro said. So we need to know who we are and what we're called to do and fulfill it in the Lord. And then, as we do, look what he says. You will be able to endure. We can come through this as we're under the Lord and led by the Lord, especially as a church. I have no doubt that worship generation as a church family will be leaner, stronger, and razor sharp for the things of the kingdom. We're going to be a better version of who we are through all this. I'm sure of it. We already are. I think worship generation stronger this day in May than we were this at this time in March. You see, in the end, peace is what God has for his people no matter what's going on. When Sam taught the Sunday morning devotion, he talked about he'll keep, keep the imperfect peace whose mind stayed upon thee because he trusts in thee. So a spiritual leader under the Lord, not striving to control and maintain, but is led by the Lord, under the Lord. He, she, they're secure in the Lord, and they raise up other people in the Lord. They, they walk it, they talk it, and they walk it, and they raise up other people that are leaders, and they again raise up other people. It's healthy, capable people, spirit-led people, and the church grows and expands. That's how discipleship works. And then as it does that, as everyone's doing what they're called to do is unto the Lord, it's overall a local church that's healthy, it's a regional church that's healthy, and it's a universal church. It's, we're, we're a healthy part of the universal church. We're healthy, and we're fulfilling our role and our purposes, and we're a blessing, and we all go to our place in peace. In the end, know this. God wants you and me and all of us who name Jesus Christ as Lord to be at peace. And there are things that test our peace, and I'll be the first to admit it. But if we spend more time with the Lord than with the world, with the quietness of the Lord versus the noise of the world, we're going to be better off for it. I speak for myself. He wants us to have peace with him. Jesus promised peace. My peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, give I to thee. And he's the prince of peace. So in the end, I see from this story of Moses and the council of Jethro, the need for the leaders to be led to understand they can't do it all, to delegate it and recognize who's capable of stepping up and leading as well and let them do it and let them run with their gifts, equip them, build them up and let them run with their gifts. And then we all do what we're supposed to do. And in the end, we are at peace and we endure and we persevere. This is what I see for the church coming forward from this text in the spring of 2020. And I hope and pray that we'll all be a part of that work of the Lord. We really need to have the mind of the Lord for our own life at this time, more than any other time we've ever lived.